0: Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com.
1: So today, guys, I want to share a scripture reading that we have for the day, and it's coming to us from John 15. John 15 verses 1 through 17. This is, I am the true vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another.
0: This is the word of the Lord. God, thank you so much, brother. Well, welcome, good morning. My name is Russell, and I'm the pastor here, and um, I I love that uh, so far today, you've just gotten a glimpse of who we are as a church, the stories that... Uh, We want to tell and the things that we're about. Um, Every week, one of the things that we take time to do is what's called our generosity liturgy. Um, And what we do with this is we actually get to say, here's what we believe about God, who God is, his character, his nature, um, that God is grace, that God gives us everything that we have so that we can be reminded um, of how to steward our resources, our time, and our money. And so I want to start with this um, this morning before we get into this text. Um, I'm going to throw it up on the screen, the first slide here, and I just want you to look at it um, because oftentimes we need to say things so that we believe them. Sometimes we, we, uh, we struggle to actually just believe this outright, but we say them so that we believe them and we act on them, all right? So let's say this together this morning. Father, you are an abundant giver. There is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I am have and am belong to you. Help me to honor you with my resources. Free me from the deceit of riches. Lead me on the path of generosity. All that I have is yours, and all that I have is you. Use our gifts for works of love and mercy, and to the increase of your glory. Amen. And so I know a lot of you. Um, uh, give online, but if you'd like to give a financial gift, there's a basket in the back, you can go to our uh, links page by texting REUNION to 97,000. Um, we'd, we'd love to be the recipients of uh, your generosity, I believe firmly and strongly um, in the work that we're doing, and I'm excited to be a part of it as well. All right, so uh, let me begin here. I was on a flight this week, and like, you get the TV on, on the screen, and I'm, you know, I'm scrolling through the TV on the screen, and I'm like, my childhood flashed before my eyes, Star Wars, A new hope any star wars nerds in here let's go let's go okay very good very good they're like it's kind of nerdy so like the hand is like half raised it's all right i was a nerd when i was a kid i was obsessed the movies were on repeats um one christmas i got the vhs trilogy like the rewinder like i probably broke it because we watched it so many times and then um fourth or fifth grade Um, I guess I was spoiled, I didn't realize this, but um, I, I don't know if my parents thought these were collectibles, but we'd go to the store to get Star Wars figurines, and I'd like get a Boba Fett, and I'd get to get two of them. And so I'd open one of them and then collect the other one. And so like we were obsessed. Um, And side note, my mom had this boyfriend. um, I guess he was way more nerdy than me because he stole them. Like the worst. He stole my collectibles. And so he's probably like in a basement somewhere right now. Whatever. I don't care. Um, Anyway, I watch A New Hope on on the airplane. And I was reminded in 2016, um, Star Wars came out with a prequel. Rogue One. And I don't know if if you've seen this or not, solid movie, but in Rogue One, when you get to the end of the movie, it's just mind-blowing. You realize this is set right before A New Hope. Um, 1977, A New Hope came out. Rogue One, 2016, and it segues perfectly into the movie, and you realize, when was this set? Right before A New Hope came out. And Rogue One was like bolstering and setting the stage for A New Hope. A New Hope, Awesome film. watched this week. It stands alone, but when you get the backdrop of Rogue One, so good, and this is exactly what I want to do today. Next Sunday, I'm, I'm building here. You're coming with me. Uh, next Sunday, um, we're going to do this Vision Sunday. Um, we're going to talk about our, the heartbeat we have as a church, so if you're new, um, like today is, a, is a, good, a good picture of who we are as a church. Next Sunday will hopefully be a really good picture of who we are as a church um the journey we've been on two and a half years in, and next week I want to look at um, I want to look at a couple passages of scripture where we talk about renewal what does it look like to join God as he's doing a work of renewal and then I want next week to end with an invitation to step into that um, in in a way that God might be calling you um, to do that so next week is a new hope and today is rogue one um, and um, what is uh, th- the prequel is what is undergirding the vision and the passage that Lucas just read is um, abiding, abiding in the person of Jesus. So that's what I want to talk about today, Rogue One, New Hope next week. All right, let's pray. Lord, I love you, and I'm, I'm just mindful of the stories that you're telling in the lives of people in this church. Um, we're here for you. We want to respond to what you're doing. We want to pray like you can be in our midst every day, that when we go to work and when we write a piece and um, when, when we're doing a task and we're typing on our computer and we're sending email, we're, we're um, engaging with a customer or a coworker, um, that w- what we would find in those moments um, is purpose and meaning mostly in you. And I just pray that um, your gospel, this good news about your son would be the thing that roots us and we would be called back to that today. God, when I look at this passage, um, there's so many things that you're doing, and there's a call on us to abide. So would you help us walk out of here abiding? And if we're questioning your faithfulness, if we're wondering where you're at, God, I pray that even this morning that you would meet us by your grace. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as we begin here today, um, I I don't want to make any assumptions about your spiritual journey. So wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, like bring it. If you were like, I was born and, you know, the following Sunday, like I was in the nursery, like great, bring it. Um, If you would say, um, I started following Jesus um, as a teenager, um, but, you know, I just started walking away from that because it seemed irrelevant or the church became divisive. Um, like bring that journey to this passage so we can reorient. Um, if you'd say this morning you're mad at God um, because you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and it felt like, um, like, um, like Emily shared that there was silence. Bring that this morning. Um, if you're frustrated right now in your faith journey or disappointed um, because you know maybe you have doubts about other followers of Jesus or you have intellectual or cultural barriers um, in the way, I want you to bring that to this text because jesus's invitation in the gospels um often doesn't look like um the invitation we get from the culture at large and the spiritual journey what is jesus's invitation in the gospels and um, this is sort of uh, understanding what the call to abide looks like or what it even means here's how jesus starts in mark chapter one as jesus walked beside the sea of galilee he saw simon and his brother andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen come follow me jesus said I will send you out to fish for people and at once they left their nets and followed him and so the invitation is like very simple and and it's follow me but i'm going to be honest sometimes i get frustrated when i read those call narratives in matthew mark and and luke because you read it and um i'm not a super detail oriented person but like i'd like a little bit more details right like i know some of you in the room are like give me step one through ten so i can accomplish it i can crush it i can take the steps right I'm like, give me steps two and three, right? Give me, give me like a little bit more so I know what's going on. And in the passage, the reason it's so frustrating is it seems to be people respond, come follow me, and they just leave everything. And you're like, ah, it doesn't seem very realistic, right? Where are we going? What's the step? What's going to happen next? Give me a little bit of the trajectory going forward so I can take um, steps towards you so I know what you're inviting me into Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes a wonderful book called The Cost of Discipleship, and he reframes the invitation of discipleship. This is what he says. What is said about the content of discipleship? That's following Jesus. Follow me. Walk behind me. That is all. Going after him, Jesus, is something without specific content. It's truly not a program for one's life which would be sensible to implement. It is neither a goal nor an ideal to be sought. It is not even A matter for which, according to human inclination, it would be worth investing anything at all, much less oneself. And what happens? Those called leave everything they have not in order to do something valuable. Instead, they do it for the sake of the call itself because otherwise they would not walk behind Jesus. What is he saying? The person of Jesus is the content of discipleship. Right? And Dietrich Bonhoeffer goes, goes on. He's absolutely brilliant in this chapter. He says, Christ calls, the disciple follows. He, he says, um, discipleship without Jesus Christ is choosing one's own path. Jesus is the point. And if I could sort of zoom back out to um, uh, Rogue One and A New Hope is my whole point is how can I, and I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to work on that one. Um, how do we undergird the vision that we have next week that we're going to talk about, when, when I want to come and tell you today, Jesus is the most important thing about this church. Like, that's, that's why we're here. Jesus is, is the point, the means, and the end, and following him and attaching ourselves to him is the goal. And I want to do this really, really quick, but Jesus' invitation in this time, um, it's sort of, I think for us... We, many of us we understand it, but let me give you a little cultural undergirding because in this time, what um, in this time and in this culture, this is what you would do: is you would attach yourself to a teacher or a rabbi. So the Jewish educational system in this time, I'll I'll, I'll cruise through this here um the first is 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 there wasn't necessarily um colleges or universities but you would actually be invited into a relationship with a person and in a, with a rabbi so there would be bets the house of the book and so around six years old a jewish kid would be learning uh, the house of the book it's a five day a week program and they would be memorizing the torah right genesis exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy fully memorized attaching themselves to the scripture And for many kids, this would have been their schooling, and that would be sort of standard, right? And then they would go back and work in the family trade. But for kids that were the best of the best, they would take the next step into the Bet Bet Talmud, the house of the learning. And this would last um, until age 14. And many students here would memorize the entire Old Testament. And not only were they learning to memorize Scripture, but they were learning not to just answer questions, but they were actually learning in in true learner-teacher fashion— how to ask the right questions, and if kids made it there, or if they couldn't progress there, they would go back and learn the family trade, but if you made it here, then you could apply to be the rabbi's disciple, right? This was the bet midrash, and very few students made it here, but say you were smart enough, and you knew the scriptures well enough, you would get the opportunity to go learn under the rabbi, And you would come to the rabbi and you would say, I want to become one of your disciples and I want to learn not just what you know, but I want to learn to do what you do. And then the rabbi would would grill the student asking them all kinds of questions. What does the student know? What can the student do? Can can the student be like me? Does this disciple have what it takes? And most of the time the rabbi would look back at the student and say, I know you love God. I know you love the Torah, but we're not going to continue. You're going to go back home and learn the family business. And it, but if the rabbi thought highly enough of you, you would be taken on as your student, and you would become try to become like the rabbi in every way. And so the goal is not just know what the disciple know what the rabbi knows, but to be just like the rabbi, attaching yourself to the teacher, or in our case, attaching ourselves to Jesus. Um, here's what Dallas Willard said. He said, "The greatest issue facing the world today, with all its heartbreaking needs." is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him. Jesus poured his life into a few disciples and taught them to make other disciples. 17 times we find Jesus with the masses, 46 times we see him with his disciples. The precursor to abiding... Is following Jesus, attaching ourselves to him. Paul says it differently in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And in the original language, the, the, the word follow my example is actually not there. It's mimetai. It means mimic me, mirror me, act like I act, do, do like I do, be an imitator of me as I mimic Christ. So um, I I became a follower of Jesus at at 13. Um, Looking back, I knew nothing about theology. I didn't know anything about Christian history. I didn't know how to read the Bible. I didn't know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I didn't know how churches ran. Um, I simply had a person who was following Jesus, who was reading the Scriptures, who was inviting me into his life, who was preaching the scriptures to other people, um, who was taking the scriptures and applying it to his life um, in integrity and, and, and letting that be lived out with his family and his wife. And he was just like, come and be a part of this in my world. And that's how I learned about Jesus was by hanging out with someone named Dustin who was attaching himself to Jesus, abiding in Jesus, and then saying to me, mimic me as I mimic Christ. And so every Friday morning at McDonald's on 83rd and Happy Valley, sophomore, junior, and senior year, at 6 a.m., I showed up to McDonald's to learn about Jesus and to read the scriptures. And we were um, praying, and we were talking about our lives, and we were studying books and studying apologetics and memorizing scriptures, and he was making challenges for us. He was sending us—one time we were sitting in this booth at McDonald's, and he sent us his friend— who was an atheist who loved to argue. And I think Dustin was actually like, I'm tired of arguing with this guy. And he sent, a, sent him to a 14, 15 and a 16 year old to just chat. And we were like, that was the worst hour of our life, you know? And we did this for three years. We attached ourselves to a person who was attaching themselves to Jesus. And the question I, I want to put forth before I talk about abiding here is a really simple question, but it's this, is this what you're doing? And so if you're on a journey, you're like, you're trying to figure this out. You're trying to figure out what you believe. There's so much space for that, and I hope you've seen that today. But if you would claim that you're following Jesus, is this what you're doing? Like, are you attaching yourself to the person of Jesus, trying to figure that out? And that's a journey. I love that Dallas Willard actually said that. He said, steadily learning from him, right? It's definitely a process. But when you think about your spiritual life, is this what you think about? Attachment to the person of Jesus. Otherwise, what we're prone to do is we're prone um, to go based on how we feel. We're, we're prone to go back to um, our latest good deed. Oh my goodness, I, you know, I haven't been to the Father's heart in like three months. I haven't served, I haven't gave. Like, oh my goodness. But is, is that how you evaluate, evaluate your spiritual life? Or, is, or are you asking, am I attaching myself to the person of Jesus? And so this is Jesus's invitation in John 15, is a continuation of that. Abide in me. And so what Jesus is doing in John 15, he's prepping his disciples, and, and, and by proxy us, he's saying, here's what it's like when I'm gone. And so he washes his disciples' feet, he has the Lord's Supper, and now he's walking with them in the Garden of Gethsemane. And before I read this again, um, I, I think maybe the, the picture you should get in your mind is, uh, is on a hill outside of Jerusalem a vineyard, because Jesus is a teacher who's always, always, always wanting to give us pictures and visuals of what the kingdom of God is like. And this is a parable. And so I sort of imagine Jesus walking in a vineyard, and he's beginning to notice that there's visible signs that there's been work done on these vines. He's walking along, sort of touching them, and then he's beginning to teach them, I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Right? He's talking about roles. He ends up telling us we're the branches. Right, You and I are the branches. Jesus is the true vine, and the Father is the gardener. And then there's a measure of pruning. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so in these 15 verses, 17 verses, 11 times we get that word remain. Or I love that Lucas used a different translation because you're actually, that word is, I think it's, it's so much better, is Abide. God the the Father is the gardener, the the, the vine grower, and and if you read it carefully, what you actually realize is that there's a lot of pressure on God. Like God has all the work. God has all the pressure. You read these these verbs here. It's God's work. It's God that removes. It's God the gardener that prunes and gathers and throws and burns, and branches don't tell the vine grower what to do. A healthy branch is completely at the mercy of the vine grower, and a healthy branch is all it's doing is trusting that the vine grower knows what he's doing and that the vine grower is good at his job. And I love the, the role clarity that's, that's being had here because it's tempting in this life to believe that you and I are in control. Right, that it's my vineyard, that it's my land, that it's my job, that it's my time, that these are my resources, that, that all of this is up to me. And control in this life is such an illusion. And it's so easy to get bought into all of the, the things that happen in this world are actually up to and on us. And if you look at the passage, God is doing all the work. And then he says, here's what I want you to do, abide remain Uh, one translation i was reading this week used the word dwell dwell and of course there's a beautiful mystery here right let's not negate the fact that jesus says remain in me as i remain in you abide in me as i abide in you there's a sort of mutuality taking place here and um, i was reading this commentary um i think it was by a guy named thomas brody and he used this phrase he said John's theology in, in, in the, the Gospel of John from start to finish is this. It's abiding, restful, union. Abiding, restful, union. I look at the first word and I'm like, that's so hard. Abiding, like doing nothing, you know, like just resting, dwelling. I'm not you know, I'm very good at that. Restful. I want it. I don't always know how to do it. Union. Union right? It's like it's connected or fused to something. I don't know why I got this mental image yesterday. Um, I thought of like a, (laughs) so dumb. Um, It's like a, I thought of a baby kangaroo like in its mother's pouch. I don't know if this is helpful. Um, Like it's it's there, it's tucked in, it's safe. I don't know if baby kangaroos sleep in the pouch, but I'm like, I kind of want to be there. Like it just sounds great, like there's a safety and like a connectedness to something outside of itself. This is what I got for you today, Star Wars and baby kangaroos, all right? (laughs) But is this how you think of your faith? Abiding, restful union. Is this how you think about um, your connection with Jesus? Uh, Ronald Rollheiser says it like this, great Catholic theologian, he says for Jesus, the opposite of faith is not doubt or unbelief, but anxiety, being anxious. And if you sit down and you read the Gospel of John, start to finish, it's like, believe, 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 believe. Um, and, and, and that word belief, left to our own devices, you and I will say, you know what? I need to collect information, put it in my head. I need to grasp this cognitively. I need to understand the algorithm of the cross and put it into my head so I can figure all these things out. And the root word of the, the word believe is pistis in the Greek. It, it means to rest on. It means I, tr- I trust it, I, I, I lean on it. I trust in it so much that I can lean on it. It's like when you're driving, you never think about your brakes, right? But you, you, you know and you hope that when you press on your brake, you trust that it's going to be there for you. My children, they, they don't act like it sometimes, but they really don't wonder if we're going to feed them, right? They have an inherent belief and trust that my parents provide for me. And so we abide. Let me give you three things here that, um, that Jesus talks about in the passage in relation to abiding. And the first one is this, abiding and fruitfulness. And, and by fruit, I, I think that Jesus is talking about, and maybe the best way to say it is, fruit is anything that comes from our obedience, Fruit is anything that comes from our obedience, the, the results, right? We all want to, to grow. We want to accomplish things. We have goals. And so the fruit is the obedience, uh, the, the stuff that comes from that obedience. So here's what Jesus says He says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. And then what does he say? No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. God cares about fruit. I I, I believe that firmly. God wants to see us grow and develop. He wants to see um, the good news of the gospel shared widely. He wants us, um, I, I think a fruit is serving the poor and serving the marginalized. God wants to see that fruit But the command in this passage is not production of fruit. It's our position in the person of Jesus. You and I want, and this is a general thing, we want the results, we want the success, we want the ends, we don't want the means to the end. right? Jesus is saying you keep looking after the fruit, but actually think more about the thing that you're rooted in and in the relationship that you're rooted in or the abiding restful union and then you'll get the fruit. Um, I'm reading a book right now called uh, The Psychology of Money um, by this author, Morgan Housel, and I was laughing so hard when I read this this week because um, he makes this really ironic point, um, is that um, wealth in in other people is the thing you can't see. Wealth is what you don't see. And he uses this illustration that I thought was really helpful. We want to see the fruit. Jesus is saying, abide in me first. Here's how he says uh, this about money. Morgan Housel, he says, someone driving a $100,000 car might be wealthy, but the only data point you have about their wealth is that they have $100,000 less than they did before they bought the car or $100,000 more in debt. That's all you know about them. So next time you see somebody driving a really nice nice car, think they could have drove a Civic. It would have been a lot cheaper. And now they have a lot less money. All right. So this is a little side sermon there for you. We tend to judge wealth by what we see because that's the information we have in front of us. We can't see people's bank accounts or brokerage statements, so we rely on outward appearance to gauge financial success, cars, homes, Instagram photos. In the same way, you and I can look at other people and see uh, the fruit of their life, right? You see the success and the hard works and, and the rewards, but that's not actually what we should be focusing on. We should be focusing on the process of abiding in the person of Jesus. And Jesus says, the fruit is going to come as you attach yourself to me, right? I, I, and I resonate with, um, with this because um, I think as a pastor, you're like, you want to see change in people's life, right? You want to see deeds of justice and mercy done. You, you know, you want to see this. And I think that this really spoke to me. There's, there's some deeper wisdom here, and I'll just leave this here with you. The world, the world essentially says, I'm going to uh, minimize this a little bit. The, the world essentially says, be brilliant, and I'll love you. Accomplish, achieve, make it big in, in your workplace. Grind and produce something valuable, and you'll be seen. Um, and Henry Nowen um, spoke something really deep into my soul recently in a, in a book. He said, when you stop being productive, people lose interest in you. And I thought, that is so sad and the way of the world. If you don't produce, people will lose interest in you. But I don't think, I think it's the exact opposite in Jesus' kingdom. He's saying the exact opposite. Don't focus on the fruit. Focus on abiding in me. And, and, and just the confession, it's easy for me to focus on um, the, the results and bigger and more. To cross off the to-dos. But what does that generally bring, Russell? That generally brings Russell a lot of anxiety. Rather, we should abide we're not in the vocation of production we're supposed to be in the vocation of abiding here's the next thing abiding in prayer if you and i are not praying we're not abiding verse 7 says this if you remain in me and my words remain in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourself to be disciples i'll be quick here what is prayer what is prayer Prayer, I would say, simply is, is awe and intimacy. It's, it's awe. It's an encounter with a God that, ha- that has the, the power and the means to do something about what you're going through, to so look at him and say, wow, I, God, I believe, like this passage does, that I can ask and you will deliver. It's awe and it's intimacy, right? It's relationship where we can ask. And we need to, to, to like push into this more and more as a church. I want us as a people to have greater faith, to pray bigger prayers, that God could actually be at work in these things. And, and what that would mean, um, I have tons of notes here, but let me just say it like this. What that would mean is that after, after service, you would walk over to the left, and the cynicism and fear that you have um, towards prayer or belief would just begin to fade that you would walk over and every step that you take over to receive prayer, you would say, I believe that God can actually meet me in whatever it is that I'm going through. And um, what other people think about me or my lack of faith, that that would just fade so that um, we have just amazing uh, prayer team that it, I just I see God moving in that way. And, and I want the faith to, that to believe. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, that we can abide and pray. Here's the last one is this. Abiding. And obedience. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And I love the joining of obedience and joy. I don't, I don't, I don't connect those things necessarily, right? But remaining or abiding for Jesus, is conditional upon obedience. That doesn't mean that you're doing this whole thing perfectly. That's not it. But what I actually think it means for us as a people is to dial in to the relationship that we have with the word obedience. My my guess is many of us in the room are sort of allergic to this idea because of an abuse of power or how um, we generally think the um, the smartest person in the room is the most um, skeptical right? The, the one that questions the most, the one that isn't necessarily obedient. But when Jesus says this, he's saying, I'm going to give you the most joy. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. And what you actually, why, how that actually comes is through obedience because I made you to be obedient to me, right? I've called you towards that. And it's just true. When you, when you love someone, you begin to want and desire what they want and desire, right? Some, sometimes, you know, it's sort of a bending of your will against theirs. But a lot of times, if you ultimately love someone, you say, you know what? I want what you want. And the truth is, is Jesus wants the best for you. He wants joy for you. And so what we're actually practicing is, you know what? How do I become obedient to the things that Jesus said, right? Like sometimes, um, a, a question that sometimes people ask me is like, um, why should I get baptized? And like, I think there's probably really good theological reasons to do that, and then at the end of it all, I'm like, and maybe you should just get baptized because Jesus said to, right? Jesus told you to. And so what, we, what you're doing in your faith is over time, you're saying, is Jesus trustworthy? I think I can trust Jesus. I, I, I'm abiding in him. I'm learning from him. And all of a sudden, you're like, you know what? I just want what Jesus wants. That's obedience. I'm just going to listen to what he says and ultimately at the end of the day say, I'm going to do it because Jesus said so. And so abiding, obedience, prayer and fruitfulness. I'm sure there's so much to leave you with, um, to think about, um, but let's end here today. If, if you have something in your lap, uh, notes or phone, whatever, you, let's just set that down. Um, and if you want to sit, um, I want to I practice this prayer of, of what I'm just, um, it's, it's called palms down, palms up. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, um, but it's just a way to really practice um, abiding. And so if you want to close your eyes this morning, I'll kind of guide us through this, and then we'll partake of communion together. Let's just um, clear your lap, sit up tall, take a big, deep breath, and if you want to place your hands out in front of you, um, you can hold them in the air, or you can rest them on your knees, and if you just want to put them palms down, let's just be quiet for a moment. Father, you are welcome here in this place. And if this is a weird practice for us, I just pray that you um, would meet us here. Your palms down is a symbolic indication that you have things that you want to turn over to God. Handing your um, anxiety or fear, something that's weighing you down. And so just silently with your palms down, if you just want to say, Lord, I give you my work. Lord, I release to you my busyness. Lord, I have anger that I want to hand over to you. Lord, I have a fear of the future, and I want to hand it over to you. Or maybe you have a, a sense of, of of letting that thing go, a lightness about you. Holy Spirit, would you help us let those things go? Now, if you want to turn your palms up as a symbol of your desire to receive from God. Lord, I want to receive your peace about this thing I turned over. Lord, I, I want to receive your presence because it feels like you're absent. Lord, I, I I want I want help in learning how to abide because I get inspired and then I move on. What do you need to receive from God? Ask. So, Lord, I love you. And um, I just pray that you would be in our midst, God, that you would be hearing our prayers right now, that you um, would be inviting us more and more um, into the life that you have with your Father. Um, God, as we uh, think about this week and next week and the things that we want to do as a church community, the things that we want to do. Um, individually, as we think about dreams and goals and visions and all of these things, I pray that those would all be undergirded by the fact that we want deep, abiding, restful union with you. And Lord, as we come and partake of communion this morning, as we partake of this together, may we be reminded by the elements that we're not alone in the journey, but may we be reminded that you did the work, that by your blood and by the sacrifice on the cross, that you did the work that was needed and we can rest in your finished work. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.